Turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27 through 47. We will finish up our series on the book of Nehemiah today, and we'll be turning uh, our attention over the next couple of weeks to Thanksgiving, giving thanks to God, and then after that, Advent. Um, And so it's been uh, really quite enjoyable. At least I've enjoyed being in the book of Nehemiah. Hope you have as well. Learned a lot from it as it has applied to our great work. And so pray for me as I read again another interesting text in terms of the number of names that I'll be reading this morning. Verse 27, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophanites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmareth, For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One of them went to the south on the wall, to the dung gate. And after them went Hoshesiah, Half of the leaders of Judah, Azariah and Ezra and Meshulam and Judah and Benjamin and Shemaiah and Jeremiah, certain of the priests, sons of sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah and Micaiah and the son of Zakur, the son of Asaph and his relatives, Shemaiah and Azarel and Milalai and Gilalai and Maai and Nathaniel and Judah and Hanani and the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra, the scribe, went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half the people on the wall above the tower of ovens to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshana, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate, they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, I and half of the officials with me, and the priests, Eliakim, and Maasai, and Miniamim, and Micaiah, and Elio and I, and Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Maasai, and Shemaiah, and Eleazar, and Uzai, and Jehohanan, and Malkajah, and Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezriah as their leader, and they offered great sacrifices that day, and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns, 
For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God in the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers. And there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. In all Israel, in the day of Zerubbabel, and in the day of Nehemiah, gave thanks, gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Father, we come to this passage today, your word, and we do pray, just as we prayed in song, that you would take this word, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, that you would uh, do a work in us uh, for the praise of your glory and for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What we've been learning over the last several weeks is that there was a great work going on in Jerusalem. The children of Israel had been in exile in Babylon. Some had come back, some had rebuilt the temple, but the walls were in ruins, the gates were burned down, the city uh, was um, susceptible to attack, and this was the city where God had especially placed his name and where his presence was especially um, associated with the, the temple and the Holy of Holies in all of the earth. God, was, God is om, omnipresent, he's everywhere, but in particular, that's where... Uh, his presence was, and that's where worship was to be focused. And, um, and so they, they began this great work of rebuilding the walls and rebuilding the gates. And so we found that they finished that work. Uh, and we mentioned, though, that the, the work of a great work wasn't simply to rebuild the wall. It was for a greater purpose, and that greater purpose was to repopulate the city that people would come into the city, that people would be there where the place of God's name was placed and they would be attending the temple worship. And not only that, throughout the course of the prophets and even into the New Testament and into the book of Revelation, that there was this expansion where more and more and more people would come and would stream uh, to meet with God and to be reconciled to God um, and the, and in Jerusalem, culminating with the new Jerusalem where thousands and thousands and millions of people from all over the world uh, would be worshiping, would be coming together, would be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And what we find today is, again, another chapter. And why is that? Because there's yet a deeper purpose for the wall. And that deeper purpose is that a reconciled people would worship God. A great work happens for the purpose of of great worship. That's the end goal, is great worship to our great God. And reconciliation will do that. Being reconciled to God will lead us to praise and worship and into great worship. When I was in middle school, uh, I got into my share of trouble. It wasn't, um, it wasn't anything that would get me arrested, but it was, you know, typical trouble at school. Uh, except once, I had one possible time I might have been arrested. I was, uh, I was the kind of kid I'd be in school, and <clears throat> I don't know what they do these days in school, guys, you can tell me, but in, in those days we had intercoms in all of our rooms, and there would be a, a light that would go on, and a beep would make a noise when the office would call, 
uh, and they would call for somebody to come down to the office. And so it was like Pavlov's dog for me, man. When that beep went off, my heart started to race and my, I started to sweat because I knew I was going to be called down to the principal's office. Well, one day a friend of mine, uh, my best friend Kurt and I, decided we were going to climb the steeple of our church. Now, Corwards Presbyterian Church, the steeple was 350 feet high, and you could get up uh, interior through some, through some ladders up to the 300-foot point, and uh, there was a nice balcony, and so Kurt and I went up there, and we got out on the balcony, and we had a wonderful view of Fort Lauderdale, one of the best views in Fort Lauderdale, I might add. And um, we came down, and as we were coming down, we were watching the security guard running up to where we were. And uh, he caught us and was dragging us through the church, and he was talking about how he was going to call the police, and they were going to arrest us. At that time, the uh, headmaster of the school, that also was a pastor on staff at the church, saw us being you know, sort of pulled by the ear through the, through the sanctuary, <clears throat> and he said, uh, what's going on? And the security guard told what was going on, and he said, I'll handle it. And so he said to us, um, what did you do? And we said, we climbed up the tower. And he said, are you going to do it again? And we said, no. And he said, get out of here. We paused for a minute, but not too long, and we took off before he could change his mind. <clears throat> Now, Dr. Wackus, I mean, he was the heat, right? I mean, he was the authority. He was the, 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 the jury, the judge, the executioner. And he showed us mercy in that event. And it wasn't just a begrudging mercy. It wasn't like every time he saw us after that, he was like, you're the bad kids, you know. He, he actually was for us so much so that uh, later, after I got into college and, and afterwards, he took an interest in my life and what was going on. And uh, he just passed away just over a year ago. Just a wonderful man. Um, and so what I experienced from Dr. Wackus was reconciliation, right? And we have that in a much greater um, capacity with God. We read this in Romans chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from his wrath. The first thing to be reconciled is you have to realize that by rights you deserve the wrath of God for your sin. And that you're willing to admit that and confess it and come to him for reconciliation, come to him for forgiveness. And he did that by sending Jesus, his son, to take the wrath that you and I deserve. That if we simply confess and have faith in what Christ has done for us, that Christ took the wrath for us, then we're forgiven. But it's not just a begrudging forgiveness. It's a, a reconciliation to a new relationship. And so we, we read on in Romans chapter 5. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So we're in a new relationship. God has adopted us into his family. We're family members. You know, we're loved. We're close. 
I don't say this in a, in a kind of a trite way. We're tight. Can I say that? We're tight with the one who is the superior, the one who is the most superior, superior of the universe because we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And that leads to worship. Knowing that you're reconciled, being appreciating what God has done, that relationship you have. And so we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. He lavished upon us that which we did not deserve. We deserved his wrath and we got everything good from him. Eternal life, forgiveness of sins, being part of a forever family, a wonderful relationship with him. And so we praise him for it. Ultimately, it goes to his grace. The purpose of a great work is great worship. And in our text today, we see just that. We see that They have been brought to Jerusalem. The wall is up. And what do they do? They begin to to worship. They begin to go around the city in these two great choirs. There was singing. There was thanking. There was praising. There were instrumentalists. There were song leaders. There were choirs. Everybody joined in. They were filled with joy as the wall was being dedicated, as this great work was being accomplished. And we um, we read here in... Let's see, verse 27, they got their instrumentalists together, they got their song leaders together in verses 28 and 29, they got themselves ready for worship, Uh, and this wasn't simply a dedication, this was a dedication of the temple, but this was a consecration, and it was a confession of the goodness of God in their lives. And one uh, procession went south, and one procession went north. Uh, Again, they had two great choirs, verse 31. You know, I have heard people in some venues that say we should never have a choir because that takes away from the congregational singing. Well, bring it up with Nehemiah. He had two of them, right? And singers. Um, And so the reality is that choirs and instrumentalists uh, can actually, if if they're the focal point, can be detrimental to worship. But done right, they're a great aid to our worship. Just as we saw today, they led the first song, first verse, and then we came back in. And um, instrumentalists that don't overpower the congregation help the congregation feel comfortable in singing with joy. And so we have these two great choirs. They were on the wall. One went south, one went north. And this wasn't just uh, pageantry. This wasn't sort of a pseudo-magical, you know, we're going around the wall in some kind of hocus-pocus way. Um, what was the focus? The focus was thanksgiving and praise. It was, they met, and they met finally at the house of God, verses 40 through 42. Verse 40 says, so both choirs of those who gave thanks stood at the house of God. And that was what it was about. The destination, the focal point of the celebration was worship, worshiping God together at the house of God. And so here are some applications for us today as we think about our great work and how this syncs up with what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish. Because ultimately, it wasn't simply about what would happen in the time of Nehemiah as we read in our 
at Revelation chapter 7, that for all eternity, the goal is that a group of people from all nations would be worshiping God forever. That's the end goal. And so we have a great work purpose to bring people into reconciliation with God, as I said last week, through Jesus Christ and faith in him, so that they might be worshipers. The goal of missions, the goal of our church, is to bring about more worshipers for Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit. That's our goal. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 through 10 says, And when we had taken the scroll, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests. To our God, and they shall reign on earth. So these people are brought together to worship God for all eternity. And that's what we're about, that God would use us, that we would move forward through the gospel of Jesus Christ, building up our own church, preaching the gospel to our own church, going outside of our church to the community and even around the world, that people might know this reconciling message, that they might know God and they might give him praise. Secondly, the great work purpose is worship. And so we can pointedly focus on worship as we think about moving into our building. Just as they pointedly worship, there's a, we don't have time to talk about all the implications of the preparation for worship they did. They did all kinds of preparation for worship. They had, uh, they had singers that they paid. They had, <clears throat> they had priests. They had Levites. Um, they prepared themselves before worship. Um, there were, they had instrumentalists that were ready to worship. This was not sort of fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants worship. They took it seriously as they came together to worship God. And we are doing the same thing. Even as we think about our rebuilding of our sanctuary, you know, things like um, hymnals and screens and uh, acoustics, um, acoustics, um, sound, even things like air conditioning. It's hard to worship when you can't pay attention because you're too hot. Uh, bathrooms, it's hard to pay attention when you, anyway, when you're uncomfortable. And so, you know, all these practical things going into that. Staff, uh, staff for worship. You know, these are all things that are important as we think about this great work that God has called us to as a church. It's worth investing time and energy as we are doing. Uh, as I've said before, we will do our best planning and we will, we will mess up something. I guarantee it. There's going to be something messed up, right? But our goal is to, is to minimize that as much as possible with good planning, preparation, and prayer so that we could come together and pointedly be about worshiping our great God with great worship. And thirdly, we're here to do, we're, we're about doing a great work to bring up joyful worshipers. Great worship, not lame worship, right? So it's great worship. And we see that their worship was characterized by joy. Verse 27 and verse 31 and verse 38 and verse 40, they were filled with thanks. They gave God thanks. In verse 43, 
Um, maybe that verse has more reference to joy than any single verse in the Bible. I'm not sure. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. Uh, for God had um, made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. <clears throat> I think I mentioned this early in my tenure here. I, there was one time when I was, um, was able to nab some tickets to the University of Florida, Florida State annual football game um, when I lived in Crystal River. That was in a time when that game mattered. Um, and so we... Uh, my friend Jim and I had tickets. I was to hold the tickets, and we got in the car, and we took off from Crystal River to Tallahassee. We got about halfway there, and I realized I had forgotten the tickets. And so I called Susan and um, said, Susan, you need to, to get in the car, bring the kids. Parents will appreciate this. We had two, two young kids. And so the, she loaded up the two young kids and her mom, who was visiting, and uh, got in the car, and she took off as fast as she could, uh, toward us, and we went the other direction. I think we met up somewhere around Chiefland, for those of you who know. It's not a booming metropolis. And we got the tickets, and we took off, and Jim and I got to the uh, game uh, late. It was, I think, in the second quarter, and so we had to park way far away from the stadium, and there was nobody in the parking lot. Everybody was in the stadium, and we're trucking to get, get to the stadium, and, and what do we hear? <sighs> you know, something happened. The, the people were rejoicing with great joy over something, and it could be heard far outside of the stadium. That's what it was like, right? They, they rejoiced with great joy, the women and children also, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. So why the joyful worship? Well, first of all, the people had been doubly redeemed. They had been brought back from Babylon. Now, why doubly redeemed? They had been redeemed from Egypt. Remember, before we did this series, we talked about the Israelites being redeemed from Exodus, from, from Egypt in the book of Exodus, and how God saved them from their slavery. And here we find that they were in exile due to their own sin. God sent them there, and he brought them back. Listen to the prophet Isaiah talk about what God is going to do. Isaiah chapter 48, beginning with verse 20. Go out from Babylon, free from Chaldea, declare this with a shout of joy, proclaim it, send it out to the ends of the earth, say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when, they led them through the de when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow from the rock, and he split the rock, and water gushed out. He's talking about that first redemption. He goes on to say, Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You, have not, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud, and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Verse 24, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. Verse 26, 26 says, Who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited. Verse 28, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. 
They were doubly redeemed. They were doubly bought back from slavery and from the clutches of sin. And so they were joyful because this was the culminating event where God had brought the city back into a position where the walls were up, the gates were up, the temple worship was beginning to take place in earnest. There were people to do it. There were people to praise. There were singers ready. The Levites were ready. The priests were ready. And God had redeemed his people again. And so we rejoice. We praise God. We worship God because we've been reconciled and redeemed. And that's why the great work is a great work. So we're about building our sanctuary, not simply to build a building, but that God's great name would be worshipped. And we worship as we gather together now. And we worship even in a, in a few minutes. We'll make our pledges. And earlier when we gave our tithes and offerings. Why is it that they were excited about, wor- excited about worshiping God? And part of it was that they were invested in the great work. They had invested their energy and their talent and their time and their treasure for this great work. As they walked on the wall, they thought of that as they were going to the temple. Last week, uh, Bobby Skerritt, in her testimony, talked about time, talent, energy, treasure, um, and how God has given us these aspects to give and to invest. And when it comes to uh, time, energy, talent, uh, you have done so much uh, as a congregation. You know, you've um, the rebuild team. Uh, we've got prayer teams. We've got the prayer group yesterday that met together. Uh, people that have been invested in, in time. We've got session members and, and deacons. And we've got uh, elders. Um, we've got uh, the choir. We've got Sunday school teachers. We've got on and on and on it goes. Um, all of these things that are so important. We've got staff. We've got People doing sound and AV, people that have been invested. Some of you getting here uh, has been difficult, and yet you've come. You have invested in the church by worshiping with us. And this generosity initiative team, uh, people that have come together and invested much time and talent. I'm sure I've left out others. These are just some of the examples of ways that people have invested their time and their energy and their talent um, in a great work and in this mission of our church. The, the sacrifice of our treasure, if we're invested in it, uh, we're excited about what God is doing. And we praise God as we have the ability to be a part of it and to watch God uh, do his culminating work in a great work. As we see the roof go on and as we pray for the rest of the money to come in so that the rest of the church will be built out, we're excited to be part of that. And I've... I've talked to some, and they've said, you know, because of the, the hurricane, because of the damage, I just don't have much to give. Um, and the Lord knows that. The Lord knows exactly where each one of you are at they, and knows the difficulty. And, and there may be some that could have pledged thousands of dollars in advance, and, and today maybe it's tens of dollars. And that's okay. It's okay. Just be a part of the sacrifice of treasure Some have more, some have less, because it's exciting to be involved and and to uh, make that investment um, of our treasure. You know, you might think, what all of us 
something, you know, with the, the need as great as it is, you know, what is my little gift going to do uh, for the great work? I think of Andrew, um, John chapter 6, verse 9, he comes to Jesus as uh, there was this multitude of people that needed to be fed, and he, he brought a boy to Jesus. He says, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Um, you know how many people are estimated to have been there? About 20,000 people. You know, what are they among so many? And so I would say, whatever we have to pledge, however small, however large, uh, let us go ahead and in faith be engaged in a great work and watch God multiply the gifts that we give and see what he does. I had a widow come to me last week after church, and she, a rather elderly widow, and she said, I, I don't have a pledge card I want to pledge. And so I came over this week, and we had a little visit, nice visit, and I gave her the pledge card, and as I was leaving, she said, you know, Ron, um, I, I don't have much to give, but I know that God is going to take this along with all the other pledges, and he's going to do, uh, he's going to do a great work. He's going to do a good work through this. That's exactly right. Um, I've got a friend, uh, Tommy, and Tommy grew up in South Florida. Um, he grew up in a poor family, and as he puts it, it was, he, he was in a poor family, but he had a pretty good, a pretty good life growing up as a kid. Um, and when he was a boy, I, I hope it was over the summer months, he, this, he tells the story of how he used to go every day, and he lived, um, he lived maybe 500 yards from the intercoastal waterway. And so he would go over there with his fishing pole, and there would be a little beach there, and he said there are thousands and thousands of fiddler crabs. And so he would scoop up those fiddler crabs, those little tiny crabs, and um, take them the other direction from his house, which is another 500, 600 uh, feet from his house, was the marina. And he would fish all day for uh, sheep's head and uh, snapper, and cost him nothing. You know, and he said, it's a pretty good life. Um, and he said, I was kind of self-absorbed like that uh, all year, except one time in the year, changed that. And uh, he says, I became motivated, and I'll use his words at this point, like nobody's business for the Jerry Lewis muscular dystrophy telethon. It was a big thing. Uh, some of you remember that. Some of you don't. It was a big thing. Jerry Lewis would get on. It would be 24 hours. He'd be on television. He'd be raising money. For he called Jerry's kids, kids that had muscular dystrophy. He said, it was the only time of the year that my parents would let us stay up all night. As a little kid, we were drinking Cokes and trying to stay up and see everything. Why was he so motivated? The weeks leading up to that, I would go to the Winn-Dixie near my house, and they would give you an hourglass thing for the Jerry Lewis telephone for muscular dystrophy, and I would stand outside the Winn-Dixie and collect money for these kids. And then, before the telethon, we would take the money and we would collect it and put it in cans. And I remember we would put it in the back of my stepfather's truck, the cans with this money that we'd collected. And we would make him uh, drive us to the television station where they were filming everything. And they would weigh out the cans and they would say something like, wow, little boy, that's awesome. You've raised $7.28 for muscular dystrophy. He said, it probably cost my dad, my stepfather, more in gas to get there than that. But he said, at the end of the day, we would just sit and watch the telethon tick away. And Jerry Lewis would make such a big show of it. 
and just being part of something. You couldn't help but pay attention to it. You couldn't help but be riveted by it because you were participating in it, because you wanted to see it succeed. You wanted to know if these kids would walk again or if they would ever find a cure for this disease. But just being part of that was motivation, right? The motivation, he's invested in it. $7.28 invested, time and energy invested. And so we have an opportunity to, I think what's happening today is actually an important event in the life of our church. We have an opportunity, uh, and we will bring our pledge cards uh, forward in in a few minutes. We have an opportunity to say we're invested. We're invested in the work of uh, this great work that God is doing in our church. Um, We're invested um, in seeing God work. And I have been so encouraged, as I said, by you and your investment of time and energy and talent and finances as well. Many of you have continued uh, to give faithfully to the church and its work and ongoing ministry. And um, Derek Kidner is a commentator And Derek Kidner said of this event of people going around the wall, he said, every inch of these ramparts had its special memory for one group or another. You know, so what he's saying is, you know, imagine you've been working on the wall and you're walking by the wall and you're singing and you're you're talking. You go past the part that you worked on. You kind of nudge the guy next to you. Hey, that's where where we worked. You know, you get excited about it. Um, Last week... I was able to announce joyfully that the leaders had made early pledges, and the early pledging that came in was $580,000, well on our way to our $1 million goal of uh, two pledges over two years, and um, and we, uh, most of those pledges came in Saturday night before, and um, who was the most excited about worship on Sunday morning last week? As I come in the church, there were several people came up to me, and in I'll paraphrase. They said something like, so do you have a big announcement to make? Huh? Huh? Do you? Huh? Do you? They were really excited about what was going to be announced because they were involved. And so there's rejoicing going on at sacrifice. In fact, it's not until you get to verse 43 where there's a speaking of sacrifice that you find this reference to joy. They offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. And then in the verses that follow, what we find, it says, On that day men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes. And so what was set up on that day was the ongoing worship of God that was going to happen day in and day out, week in and week out in Jerusalem. And so, as I've said, we're giving a pledge over and above uh, what comes in our regular tithes and offerings, that those are used for the regular ongoing worship of our church and ministry of our church and mission of our church and outreach. Uh, But we pointedly are preparing to build a building that will enable us to worship and to bring other people into a relationship with Christ through ongoing worship. So here's our mission statement. Uh, First, again, the purpose of a great work is great worship. That's what we're about in pledging and in giving to a great work. Our mission statement is this, approved by the session, to reach and equip people in Bay County through reformed teaching and preaching, fellowship, worship, 
and evangelism for the conversion of the lost to faith in Christ. And we are committed to biblical corporate worship that focuses on the supremacy of the Word of God in reading, preaching, prayer, singing, and the sacraments. Our corporate worship incorporates elements from our rich Christian heritage, creeds, hymns, and confessions, along with contemporary songs of praise. And so we've pointedly thought about and prepared and have a mission of worshiping our great God with great worship. We're building our building in part for the good of Panama City. It's, it's for the good of the people in Panama City. Um, but our view is much, much greater than that. There's a city uh, who has eternal foundations, the Bible says. And we're, we're building our church, rebuilding our church, so that that city will be inhabited eternally by people who have been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ and will eternally worship him. And so that's why we're doing uh, our great work. That's why we're pledging so that people might come into relationship with him and worship him for all eternity. Let's pray.